right, welcome back everyone to this episode of Return. We are going to be talking today about the title of Jesus from Revelation 1-5, Him as the Firstborn from the Dead. Okay, so we have looked in the last few episodes about um, some of the titles and descriptions that we've seen thus far in Revelation 1, and today we're just continuing in that theme, looking at Revelation 1 verse 5. Last week we talked about the title of Jesus as the faithful witness, and today we're looking at that next title of him as being the firstborn from the dead. And... I really love this title of Jesus, you know, all of them, all of the descriptions and and the different titles that we see in the book of Revelation are equally wonderful and equally beautiful, but I really do love this one because it talks about such a central um, theme of our faith, which is the resurrection. Um, Jesus, you know... The resurrection really is uh, what makes Christianity infallible in in a lot of ways, meaning throughout the centuries, people have tried to, you know, debunk the fact that Jesus actually died and was raised from the dead. But the thing that they cannot disprove is the resurrection. Um, And it's so central. Even Paul says, if the resurrection was a lie, then then everything that we believe and and teach is a lie. And so really the resurrection is probably one of the, or if not the uh, most core beliefs and and doctrines of our faith. And so I'm excited that we get to talk about it today. Um, Even just for fun, uh, Romans 1 verse 4 says that the Father even used the resurrection to declare Jesus as the son of God, meaning he, the resurrection was uh, the father's declaration that Jesus was who he said he was, that the father really, you know, he, uh, the father really did endorse Jesus's life and his ministry. And Jesus laid down his life, we know, to death and the father was faithful to raise him up. And so Romans 1, 4 just says that, he, uh, Jesus was declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And I love that. So obviously the title firstborn from the dead, uh, the firstborn, it implies that there is many that would follow after Jesus is the first one raised from the dead to receive a glorified and resurrected body that would never again taste death, that would never again um, know just the the things that we face in in our natural, normal bodies that, you know, we age and we decay, but Jesus received a glorified and resurrected body. And it's funny because I've thought about this title in the past. I'm like, Jesus wasn't actually the first one raised from the dead. I mean, like Lazarus, he, he raised Lazarus from the dead you know, before he went to the cross himself and, you know, you know, Lazarus was raised from the dead. So how is Jesus the firstborn? But the thing is, is Lazarus was raised 
and who knows how long after, but Lazarus would have died again. (laughs) He didn't, he was raised from the dead, but he wasn't raised with a glorified and resurrected body um, like Jesus was. And so Jesus was the first one, the first man, human to receive that supernatural body that we all as believers will one day receive. Um, But he's the first among uh, many. And so that really is what this title um, digs into and talks about. But I want to just talk for a second because this ties into one of the themes that we talked about in an earlier episode when um, we talked about how the Father's desire from the beginning of creation was, you know, to dwell with man. He created man to have fellowship with, to live and dwell with here on the earth. That's why he created the earth. Um, But we know sin happened. Um, There was separation from um, man and God being able to dwell with one another in unity because of sin. And so we know, though, that the plan and purpose of God has been to bring heaven and earth together again. And that idea is also really encompassed in this title of Jesus as, as being the firstborn from the dead. Because we know from Ephesians 1 verse 10, it reads that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times that he, the father, might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. And Jesus being resurrected and glorified as he is right now, it means that there is a man seated at the right hand of God the Father right now. He has a human body, um, but he is seated above all principalities, all powers and kingdoms, every name. And just the fact that there's a presence of a man so exalted, you know, seated at literally the highest place of honor um, is, is a statement about God's plans for the human race, that this is our destiny to be able to rule and reign with Christ. And we know because Jesus is there right now at the right hand of the Father, that um, just that plan of God to bring heaven and earth together in him, it really is going to happen. And so um, I just wanted to mention that uh, we know from Ephesians 1.20 that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was seated at the Father's right hand far above all principalities and powers, might and dominion in every name. But in order for that to happen, in order even for Jesus to receive that, that place of exaltation, to be seated at the right hand of God, and, and the way for him to bring heaven and earth together, um, we really have to look for a minute at Jesus's humanity. And um, oh, this, this title of Jesus is just so beautiful because um, the title of him as firstborn really talks about his humanity. He is the firstborn, meaning he's also the only begotten son of the father, which we know. But 
him being the only begotten and yet at the same time, the firstborn, those two titles are almost a little bit in conflict with each other, yet they're not at all. But it it talks about the fact that Jesus's destiny was to bring us, to bring mankind into the family of God and to have a share in his inheritance as being sons and daughters and for him to be our older brother. But in order to do this, he had to be a man. He couldn't just be God and, you know, bring us in into the family. He had to be a man. He had to live and experience the, uh, the human life and face the struggles of life, same as we do. And um, part of why he had to be a man is we know that the curse that was placed on us from the Garden of Eden was uh, that man would have to toil. He would have to work. And, and there was a curse. And Jesus needed to be both God and man to redeem us from that curse. And so he had to face the toils of life. He had to face uh, the hardships and the struggles. And I just want to mention uh, this passage in Hebrews 2 really quickly um, because I think it's it's so beautiful that it actually says that while Jesus in his purpose was was bringing many sons to glory, it says that he was made perfect through his sufferings so that he would be the captain of our salvation. And I know like I'm sure you've read that verse before like I have and you know it makes you pause and think like what I made perfect through his sufferings that makes no sense. I thought Jesus was without sin. And um the thing is is it's it's the verse reads for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Okay, so meaning Jesus endured the human experience as as I'd mentioned a minute ago. He came and he you know, suffered the same things that we suffered. He faced the same temptations and trials and he knows what it's like, you know, to scrape your knee. He knows what it's like in um, a more intense situation, you know, to to be called a illegitimate son like we talked about in the last episode. Like he faced criticism. He faced hardship. He left his position at the right hand of God to become a man. And that's, again, I mean, just that thought is incredible. But he came and it's through his, uh, through his suffering, through the things that he endured, he is the perfect uh, captain of our salvation, meaning he he's able to bring us in to the same destiny that he has to be, uh, to be made sons, to be made daughters, to bring us into the family of God, to have the same inheritance as him, which is to literally dwell with God, to rule and reign on the earth with him. 
And I love that it says at the very end of that verse, verse 11, it's for this reason, he's not ashamed to call us his brother, his brethren. So again, that title of Jesus being the firstborn, it's also the fact that he is our older brother. Um, and this title of Jesus really, again, it talks about our hope as believers. It's the hope of the resurrection and It's the hope that the trials and the tribulations that we face right now in life, again, just the human suffering that we endure, death that we face and all of that, it will end in victory. We have the ability because of Jesus's resurrection, because he even, again, he faced the things that we face. We have this hope that we can rejoice in tribulation because we know for sure that God will break into our situation, either in this age, because we do have the kingdom of God right now living inside of us by the Holy Spirit, and we are citizens of another kingdom and are able to pull on the benefits of that kingdom. But whether we receive uh, the answers to the things that we're looking for now or not, we know for certain we will receive them in the age to come with a glorified body living in the uh, heavenly city. And for the believer right now, for us right now, truly this this life is as bad as it's going to ever get. For an unbeliever, and this is a scary thought, for an unbeliever, this life is as good as it will ever get. The pressures of life right now, the trials, the tribulations, sickness, death, all of that stuff, the the tragedies that we see on a regular basis in the news right now, and I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about, just the groan of life makes us groan for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God into our lives. You know, um, I'm sure you have this experience too. It, every time someone around me dies, um, which I, I actually haven't even had that much of an up close experience with death, meaning I haven't had a close family member pass or anything like that. But recently we've had a handful of people in our community pass away and you know, any time that that happens, you get reminded truly of the, the the gospel, the power of the gospel and the hope of resurrection. The fact that you know for certain that you will see that person again one day and that we more feel the sting of death on this side of eternity. But that person, as soon as they pass, pass away, they're they're happy. They are fully rejoicing and in the presence of God a second after, you know, they breathe their last here on the earth. But every time someone close to us dies, we kind of feel that groan again of, oh, one day things will be different. One day we're not going to feel the sting of death. One day the kingdom of God will be here physically in fullness. And so these pressures of life make us groan for that day. They make us long for that. And this is where I want to just bring us to Romans 8. And we're going to 
spend the rest of the time together um, here uh, on this episode in Romans 8. And if you have a chance to either follow along, which sometimes is not always easy to do with podcasts, because if you're like me, you like to listen to podcasts while you're driving or maybe getting ready for the day. But I want to look at Romans 8, starting at verse 17, which reads that if we indeed suffer with him, with Jesus, we also will be glorified together. And this popular verse, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Verse 23, we also who have the first fruits of the spirit grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. Okay, again, we have this grown in us. Essentially, these this passage is saying we're suffering right now. And, and in this present time, though, these sufferings, as hard as they are, as difficult as they are, as even as all encompassing as they are at times. I mean, dealing with the loss of a loved one is terrible. But even the suffering that we face in this present moment is not worthy to be compared to the measure of glory which we will experience, and it actually says, which shall be revealed in us in the age to come. Okay, so we face deep trials right now but they're not, you can't even compare it. It's not, it's apples to oranges completely. You can't compare it with the glory that will be revealed in us, revealed even in our physical bodies in the age to come. But in the meantime, we groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the redemption of our bodies. We want the resurrection. Okay, but if we go down a couple more verses, it's still in Romans 8, Looking at verse 26, it also says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints, listen to this, according to the will of God. Okay, so that groan that we're talking about, we see, you know, in a couple verses later, verse 26, that it's the Holy Spirit who is helping us in our weakness. And because we don't even always know what to pray for, it's the Holy Spirit who makes intercession for us with groanings which can't be uttered. So I think even part of when we feel that groan and that ache for the age to come and for the resurrection That's the Holy Spirit's reminder to us. You were made for something more. You were made for more than just this moment, more than even just this life. I love the way that it said that this life, this 70 or 80 years is just the womb of eternity. It's like that baby in the womb that has nine months, you know, and then they're born and, you know, they have life to experience. That's what life is. We're in the womb of eternity. And one day, one day soon, we'll receive our resurrected bodies. We'll be with Jesus for forever. And we have eternity upon eternity, you know, to to be with him, to dwell with him. But the Holy Spirit, he 
he gives us these groanings, this reminder that we were made for something more. And it says that he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, I want us to look at this really quick. What is the will of God in our lives? If the Holy Spirit is praying for us according to the will of God, what is the will of God in our lives? And for that, we keep we keep reading in verse 29 of, of Romans 8. Gotta flip my page here. It reads that, um, for whom he foreknew, whom God foreknew, he also predestined, and this is the point, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay, you guys, we're coming back to the title of Jesus as firstborn. And this point is massive, and it's why I love it so much. The will of God for our lives is that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. All things, when we live according to the Spirit, works in us this purpose of looking like Jesus. The groans that the Holy Spirit you know, is, is making intercession in us that the things that we even, we don't even know how to pray for, but even the pressures that we face in life that produce that groan in us, it is unto the purpose that we would look like Jesus, which again, brings us back to that verse in Hebrews where it says that Jesus was made perfect through the things that he suffered because both he who sanctifies and he who is sanctified are together one right? So we are being sanctified by the things that we suffer for the purpose that at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, we would look like Jesus. This is huge, you guys. He is the firstborn among many. That's what it says, that we would be conformed to the image of his son, that we he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Meaning, Jesus in his glorified, resurrected body is the prototype, the original of what redeemed human beings will look like throughout all of eternity. You know, each one of us, we have unique features. I have freckles and blonde hair. We have, you know, stories that are individual to us, things that we've lived Each one of us, even though we have these unique things about us, and we will for all of eternity, we're all going to be traced back to that one man. We're going to look at each other for eternity and see something beautiful and familiar about one another that we'll realize is Christ in us. It's, It's us being conformed to that man that we love. And because we love him and because he is in all of us, we're going to love one another as well, which is kind of a side point, but is beautiful. And, um, okay. So he's, he is the firstborn among many. He is the first one to be raised from the dead among many who throughout all of time and history, when that day comes, when we received our resurrected bodies, there's going to be many of us that look like him also being raised and glorified with him. And I want to look at verse 30 of Romans 8. It says, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. 
Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Okay, really briefly, looking at these. Jesus has chosen us. You don't have to be insecure or worry about whether you are qualified or not. God has picked us to look like him. This is the will of God for our lives. He's called us, all right, which is different. He's He's first chosen us. So we don't have to worry about whether he wants us in his family or not. He wants us in his family. That's why Jesus became a man in the first place. But he's called us, which means that he's given us the choice and the free will of whether we want to choose him back. And when we say yes to that to him, he justified us. He gets rid of all of our disqualifications. He made what was impossible, which was us dwelling with God in unity and perfection, perfect uh, holiness. He removed the impossibility and made it possible by the blood of Jesus. And he will glorify us that we forever, forever will be able to stand in the presence of God and not fall dead in front of him because we're going to have these glorified resurrected bodies that were made to participate in the love of, of the burning heart of God that were made to fellowship with God and with one another and experience that all consuming fire, which we know God is, he is an all consuming fire. All right. And I could go on and on and on about this. We're running out of time. Just read the rest of Romans 8 with this lens in mind, which again, I think who doesn't love Romans 8? It's like literally one of the best chapters in the Bible. But just the fact that trials and tribulations produce this groan in us and yet also this certainty of what is our destiny of what we know is to come is just beautiful. I love it. But I want us just as I draw this to a close, I want us to look at the fact that as we draw near to the day that the Lord returns, we are drawing near to that full and and final redemption of our bodies. Each day pressure increases and each day our groan increases. And this is why even has times get more intense as we near as we get near to the day of Jesus's return we see in the book of revelation there are some really intense things that happen persecutions trials uh you know certainly people we know will um be persecuted for the gospel and martyred we may even ourselves lose our lives but Again, the hope of the resurrection, if we are really rooted and grounded in the hope of resurrection, that's that's where we're able to lovingly and willingly give our lives for this man because we know in a second we get to look like him. But again, these these trials and these pressures that are only going to increase produce this groan in us. That they produce that sanctification unto the purpose of looking like Jesus. And that's why Paul says that we can actually glory in tribulation. That's why Peter says that we shouldn't um, 
we shouldn't take tribulations as some like obscure and unexpected thing. We know actually that they, it can work together for our good because it produces this perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. And the hope is that we will be raised to look like Jesus. And the last three and a half years of this age, you guys, the last three and a half years before we enter into eternity, we see the picture of where we are going to be as the church. It's the victorious church at the end of the age is an overcoming church. And we see this in Revelation 12, where it says, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. And get this, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Meaning we, we will be rooted before Jesus comes back. We will be rooted in eternity. We will be rooted in the fact that in the moment, though we may die physically, we have eternal life. And this is the victorious church. This is the overcoming church. And we look at the Lord will come with the sound of a trumpet. And in the moment that that seventh trumpet is sounded, we will be changed. Uh, We read from Paul, it says, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when that sound of the seventh trumpet comes, the the final climax of our lives, the greatest hope, the greatest destiny that we have as believers, which will be to receive our own resurrected and glorified bodies, that will be when that takes place and when that happens at the sound of the seventh trumpet. And so, oh, you guys, even for that reason, that is why we long for the return of Jesus, is knowing that there is a day that we will look like him. And in a moment, we will put off this body, this um, you know, body that is dying day by day. We'll put on the corruptible for the incorruptible and we'll put off mortality for immortality. And that we will get to rule and reign and look like Jesus forever. So every time you hear or think of Jesus, Jesus's title as being the firstborn from the dead, it should trigger just this joy and the hope that we have in the resurrection of the gospel. And likewise, when we face just trials, temptations, pain, death, all of that stuff, and it produces that groan in us, you can be reminded that Jesus is the firstborn that he was raised from the dead, that the father did not leave his body in Sheol, but he raised him. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will give life to our mortal bodies. So you guys, I pray that this uh, podcast really connects with you, that this title of Jesus would just trigger things inside of you that make you long for him. He is the firstborn 
he uh, has the destiny to bring us all into the family of God, to be sons and daughters with resurrected and glorified bodies with him for forever. And oh, we long for that day. Come Lord Jesus. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and we'll talk to you in the next episode. Mm -hmm.